Andy, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Andy, Andrew, what do you prefer? Andy, please. Yeah, uh, only Andrew uh, when I'm in trouble. And if you're my mom, um, that job is currently not um, <laughs> up there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm afraid it's, it's taken. Andy. Uh, cool. Jordan, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. I followed you for a long time. It's a really uh, it's a pleasure for ha- to have you on. Obviously, I've, I've read the Muscle and Strength Pyramid and some of the work that you've done on there. Uh, I'll do an intro. Obviously, people have already listened to that by the time they're getting to this. But give uh, people a little bit of a backstory of who you are, how you got into the space and what you're doing now. Thank you. So actually, the training book uh, comes out uh, next month. Um, we're just proofreading the Japanese version of that. Um, so, uh, sorry, context. I live in Japan. Uh, I've been here for coming up to 17 years. Um, I'm originally, you, you might uh, hear that I don't sound very Japanese. Uh, I'm from Birmingham in the UK. And Are you um, a Birmingham FC fan? Uh, uh, no, no, Manchester United. Oh, I'm no. Afraid. I'm an Arsenal fan. If it would be any. Yeah. It'd be asked at Arsenal? No. I know. I'm sorry. Podcast is over, mate. Wrong team. <laughs> I no. should have waited till the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's the wrong red team. So, yeah, uh, I am a nutrition coach, nutrition and training coach. I've been doing that for the last um, coming up 12 years. Um, I have uh, two businesses, uh, an English-facing um, business that does coaching and a Japanese-facing business that does coaching. Um, I came over originally to Japan uh, because I was interested in karate, thought I'd do that for a year um, while teaching English and go home. Um, and then six or seven years in, uh, I ended up staying because I loved it. And then six or seven years in, I um, started blogging because I was um, upset, very upset um, with the state of the industry here and how I saw my friends who did not have a lot of money were in a very working class area, a very working class gym. They're all very serious bodybuilders and powerlifters. And I just felt they were getting ripped off. They were spending money on supplements they absolutely didn't need. Um, and I felt that the industry took advantage of the fact that there is a um, science is published in English. There is a, uh, an information gap because of the language barrier. And so there's very little incentive for people to financial incentive. That is to say, Hey, yo, you don't need all of that. Focus on like, uh, calories, uh, uh consuming an adequate amount of protein, um, et cetera first. So yeah, I just started blogging and, um, wrote in English and Japanese and then kind of split those two off, uh, into separate websites and I've built the businesses from there. What is the, when you got there, what was the fitness, this, the, the fitness space like in Japan where are you located in Japan and how has it changed since you've been there? Uh, people are bigger now. Uh, the, the waif like look, um, was, um, so hmm. if you look at boy bands, uh, and girl bands, I think that gives you and how they have changed. I think that gives you a fair idea of what the um, physiques of um, the, the the desired physiques are uh, over time, and it's very clear that you know sixteen, seventeen years ago, the uh, physiques that were desirable um, have has shifted massively. Now, it's not uncommon for people to have. I wouldn't say they're particularly mus like very muscular, but Clearly, both the the guy and uh, boy and girl bands, they've been training. Um, whereas it used to be, 
let's say 90s um kate moss style kind of catwalk very slim wafy that used to be the style so i think part of that acceleration has been due to the uh the acceleration of foreign culture in japan due to like instagram um etc and so there's more access to foreign celebrities and what's currently in fashion and so girls uh now they want to have an ass guys now they want to have a six-pack and they realize that um <laughs> dieting their way there isn't going to get them for a physique uh, that's desirable they need to actually have enough muscle mass to be worth dieting down to that six-pack for um so that's good and now there are far more people um doing compound lifts doing more serious training so it's definitely improved and so i talk uh sometimes about like the whole we're in like the glute era right now and uh -huh. um you know we could talk about how like that that like sometimes it gets overblown and it's this thing that everyone thinks is so important but what i will say is like the person like the uh, like putting the, having a, a big big glutes up on a pedestal, it being something that people want now, has really put a barbell in front of. And I say barbell not to idolize a barbell, but to have a lot of women start to begin to lift heavy everywhere for everything, and in just reducing the stigma of having muscle and being strong. And like, yeah, like sure, it starts with like, okay, I'm just going to do some hip thrusts, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm full blown strength and resistance training. And I also think CrossFit has done. I don't know how how much that is over in Japan, but I just think in general that I that we're in the glute era where like I want to grow my glutes has has blossomed into women exploring just getting stronger and building muscle muscle overall and also CrossFit. While you know some people are like oh they're too you know these CrossFit chicks are too muscular, I definitely think that it has um, you know normalized if not better than that word that might be just too not positive enough of a word but normalized like having muscle and, and had you know young girls growing up you know looking up to these people who are like really strong and um i think that that's an amazing thing for sure i think it's it's a, a great thing um because now people aren't scared that they will uh touch up women i'm thinking of um here that they'll touch a weight and suddenly get big and bulky um and part of that is because now there are more and more people um more and more women uh, posting that they are training on social media um more and more women in the spotlight i should say as well as average women of course too and and they're not they don't have these bodybuilder women type physiques <laughs> and they they have physiques that are desirable and so that's encouraging more um young women to get into training and i think that's a great thing yeah and also just the fact that uh a slightly bigger body size um is now um fashionable slash accepted has also made people feel more comfortable to get into a gym from say the perhaps the average um starting position before so, so let's say that you are um say bigger than what would have been acceptable say in the 90s or 2000s or whatever right um then it might have been very hard at that point to get into the gym because you might feel oh I, I can't be in the gym yet which is obviously backwards thinking but it just i think it's made it just a more comfortable welcoming uh place it's easier to get into strength training and more people are wanting to do it and i think that's that's a great thing i shouldn't really be speaking about um what women um you know how women feel about this it's just kind of what i've observed um I, I should say actually that i i work exclusively with men and men that have um 
a lot of training experience. They've got a lot of experience with dieting. Um, and they're just, they're super frustrated and want to kind of get fairly granular and take things to the next level because they've plateaued. Um, so I'm really not speaking from coaching experience. They're just kind of what I've observed. Cool. I appreciate the, the caveat there. Let's touch on that for a bit because I don't I don't coach exclusively women, but I would say that the vast majority of my clientele are women. And actually an interesting, mm -hmm. nice, maybe nice, uh, that's my own bias of it, what I enjoy is that there is a, a large emphasis on at least some some amount of building muscle and strength. And this is not a, a race to the skinniest mentality with the vast majority mm -hmm. of people that I coach which is super nice. Let's take your, that clientele for a bit. Like you have a, you know, you have a male clientele who's like slightly on the more advanced side, slightly on the more experienced side. What are they actually struggling with? What do they end up actually wanting to come to you and, and get from you? Yeah, m mostly they will, hmm, uh, less, Let's break it into two patterns. You've got the those that are newer to training, and uh, they are struggling with this um, state of purgatory, I call it, where they don't feel big enough to diet. They don't feel lean enough to bulk. And so diet being a, a fat loss phase, bulk being a muscle gain phase, but where you will gain a little bit of muscle. Um, and they don't, they haven't had success with keeping their calories or having eating behaviors where their weight stays stable and they're gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time, which most people will achieve when they start out. But the problem is that at some point, it stops becoming measurable, which means you can't stay motivated for it and you certainly can't manage that and adjust for it. So they need to make a choice between cutting or bulking and that trips a lot of people up. And I think it's there are many women who, who kind of feel um, perhaps trapped as well um, by this, especially if they start using the scale as the main metric for whether they are um, achieving progress. Um, very common with women. Um, and what I'd say is take a tape measure and start measuring your stomach. Measure at the navel. Measure, say, three fingers below the navel, three fingers above the navel, um, and then uh, your hips at the widest point, so straight over the bulk of your ass. Um, measure that uh, and, and do that once a week have a look how that's changing because you might see that your weight gradually ticks up over time or stays the same obviously it depends on where you're at right if if someone wouldn't look at you and identify uh, as you needing to um, lose weight let's say right you you might see that if you just start training and eating according to your hunger and fullness cues that your weight actually starts to go up because you're training and your body now wants to feed feed that muscle that is trying to grow um, to support the training that you're doing um, but you actually get leaner. Um, so that, that's, that's like, a absolutely crucial, but very hard here in the head. Um, and that's something that men struggle with too. It's just, it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's not very visible, right? People don't notice, um, uh, because people don't talk about these struggles. And then let's say pattern two. There's a guy who's he's been training for um, a while now, but and he's he's um, adjusted his diet. He's come to a point where, you know, he's bulked, perhaps been 
I'm successful to an extent. Um, I'm cut down and and has gained a little muscle, but uh, is just not happy with the current level of progress that they've made. Um, they want to now. They want help pushing forward. Perhaps they know technically what they need to do. Every time they try to do it themselves. They get a bit wrapped up in their head. They start overthinking things and they just want to hire out that decision-making process. That's a very common thing. Like most of my clients, all of my clients, dare I say, um, they could do it themselves. But like they're busy working professionals, often like family men, kids, like, uh, you know, they got a lot that they're juggling. It just makes sense to hire out. So, yeah. yeah. I think sometimes coaches are just, and it, it not to, downgrade what we do or devalue it. But I firmly believe sometimes that we are just the vehicle and that, you know, some people are at a state of readiness to change and they want to make a change. And we are going to be just the people that they come to, to help facilitate that. Some things that they already know. I had a call with a new client today, wonderful lady. And I just, I just got the feeling that I was like, you know, she needs some validation, some affirmation. She needs knowledge that what she's doing is efficient, that she's being efficient with her time and that she doesn't have to come up with this all herself and that this is like professional approved. And sometimes just that validation, that affirmation, that knowledge that the path that you're on is leading in the direction that you'd like to go. Sometimes there's a, you think you're doing the right things and you're not really sure. Um, and maybe if you did like do it for a long time, you'd find out that you were on the right path, but you, you know, you kind of motivation might waver because you're not really sure. And just being able to provide that structure and, and knowledge that you're on the right path is I'm not saying all I do, but but quite often if you have a client who's like, they mostly kind of have an idea of what to do, it's you putting a couple pieces together, but also putting a stamp of approval of like, yes, keep doing this. You're on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. That peace of mind is is huge. And knowing that they're going about it in the most efficient manner, because if you think like your best years are now, right? it's easiest to do all of this now because it only gets, you know, incrementally harder as we age. Um, what is the cost of getting it wrong consistently over time? All that time that you're spending, you know, going not just in the gym, but going to the gym, coming back from the gym, the food prep that you do, the shopping that you do, the expense of that, the laundry that you do for that, right? Um, yeah, I think it just makes sense for some people. Um, not obviously not all, but I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, it's what we do, right? <laughs> it's what we do. Excellent. We're going to, let's jump into, we're going to do a little, little bit more of like a rapid fire Q&A. I put up a Q&A box. I got some questions and then I ended up not doing the Q&A. And so we're going to do it here. Um, and some mm -hmm. of it's going to be funny enough. There were some actually similar things that I pulled from your content that I was just going to throw at you, but some, some questions were very similar. Uh, and so we'll just jump right into it. The first question is, and if we get carried away on any of them, I'm really fine with that. It's not like we need to get through all of them. So we dive in deep. We dive mm -hmm. in deep. First question is, is it dangerous to go under 1,200 calories? Uh, no. That's, I mean, that's a good, that's a, that's a good start. I mean, there, there, where is the like, where is this? Where is this myth, I would say, or this like uh, misconception that this is some magic number? I mean, is there any like rationale history behind this? Is this what a fucking, is this when people are like, oh, this is what a toddler is supposed to eat? I mean, where is like, you work with people, at what stage are you saying, okay, we shouldn't go under X or are you even building a framework that way? Or how are you communicating something being too low? Yeah, so it's it's a convenient number that I think well-meaning people have just kind of got uh, stuck upon. Um, 
but there's no there's not really any truth behind that it being dangerous um what i say um the the bottom line that uh people should be going with their calories is um there are a few things um and let's think of them in terms of layers of importance so first they need to be including um vegetables um a sufficient amount of of, of vegetables ideally fruits um including the quote unquote good foods in their diet so that they are likely covering any micronutrient deficiencies that they may have with very low calorie intakes you could also take a a multivitamin as well as an insurance policy but not a replacement there and then you want to be consuming enough protein uh, one gram per pound of your target. there are many ways to explain this but one gram per pound of your target body weight is a good way of of um thinking about it split up evenly throughout the day um so you need uh, enough uh calories for that then you need enough um carbohydrates to fuel uh, your training and that's going to vary from person to person and level of advancement generally speaking the more advanced you are and the more training you're doing the more carbohydrate you'll need the reason that that's important is because you need that training in order to stimulate in order to tell your body that it needs to hang on to the muscle while you're in a calorie deficit um, and then for fat intake you do need to have some fat intake in your diet um But it's going to be very hard to have any kind of diet where your fat intake practically becomes so low that it is um, risking uh, hormonal upset, so to speak. And so you, we don't really need to worry about kind of any bottom line numbers in, in that the short it term. Kind of takes care of itself. In yes. the short term. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so then uh, the, the next layer on top of that is um, your rate of weight loss should be appropriate. So um, the leaner you get, the slower you should typically take it because the leaner you get, the higher the risk of muscle loss, and we want to avoid that at all costs. And so as you're closing in on, for men I say as you're closing in on abs, it, it might not be quite that case for women, but as you're you know becoming more defined in the abdominal section, let's say, um, you want to have a slower rate of weight loss. So we like to stay uh, between 0.5% and uh, 1% of your body weight per week with the lower end of that um, as you are you know, getting very lean. So let's say you weigh um, 140 pounds, um, then you might want to be losing no more than 0.7 pounds um, per week. And so... That number there pretty much dictates your calorie intake level. Now, that as in the bottom line maximum that you would want to go to. Now, smaller people with very low activity levels who have been dieting for a while and so they have some level of metabolic adaptation now, they may find that in order to hit that 0.5% of their body weight per week, they need to go lower 
than 1,200 calories to get there. Okay, remember those three caveats there. Smaller people, petite people, right? Very low activity levels outside of their gym training. Um, so they're sedentary, they've got a desk job and they drive to work and they drive to the gym and they don't walk around very much and perhaps they don't have any other physical hobbies. Fair enough. Um, and what's my third point there, Jordan? That they um, are uh, have some metabolic adaptation. They've been dieting for a bit it, of time. Yeah. Exactly. They've been dieting for a while. Perhaps they've lost like 15, 20, 30 pounds, right? Um, so they may need to go lower than that. Um, and so here's the thing. If you find that you are at the point with your calorie intake level and you cannot sustain it, just increase it a little and accept a slower rate of weight loss. But what you definitely don't want to be doing is, say, typing into a forum or where, whatever social media platform you use, hey, I'm consuming X number of calories, but I'm not losing weight. Is this right? Because then, of course, you're going to get people shared at you telling you that, oh, no, that's way too low, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's just not the case. It is about calories in, calories out. Now, of course, then we run into issues of um, people talking about starvation mode. That's kind of a myth, although metabolic adaptations do happen. So put aside anything about if you eat too few calories, then your body stops you from losing fat. That's nonsense. And then the other thing is that is achingly desperately common is that people underestimate the uh the calories that they're consuming chronically and so you might think you're consuming 1100 calories but actually you're consuming more like 1400 calories or perhaps even more um and then another thing that you could look into instead of just reducing your calorie intake or keeping your calorie intake the same and accepting a slower weight of weight loss, especially for those smaller people, um, for those sedentary, is increasing their activity levels um, so that they're burning a few more calories each day. And you could do that by maintaining a minimum um, step count. Your phone is likely logging it. And so somewhere between five to 10,000 steps a day, uh, depending on where your current baseline is. Um, I'd say just do aim for a little more is a good idea as long as you can sustain that. So all of these things kind of factor in. That is the nuanced answer here. But of course, it's not a it's not a nice simple soundbite like avoid twelve hundred. You can't go below twelve hundred. That's what I'm going to post. That's what I'm going to clip clip for Instagram. I have a, a just a, not a slightly different take. Actually, I agree with everything you said one hundred percent. The slightly mm -hmm. different context I might put the answer in is like there's actually outside of people who are getting so lean that the leanness itself might start to trend towards less health, like unhealth. You're getting to an underweight, you're competing, right? You're doing something that's like at a point where the weight loss actually may be taking you further from health. Outside of that context, it's highly unlikely that there's a, a calorie amount that is going to move you towards less, being less healthy. Like what I'm trying to say is it's unlikely that you could tell me you know, 70% of America is either overweight or obese. It's very unlikely that the unhealthy thing you're doing is eating too little. It's, and I'm not, it's a little harsh statement. I'll put some context on it, but it's unlikely that you should be worried that eating too little is making you unhealthy. When if it, it just in the, yes, not, not fat loss isn't going to make everybody healthier. That's not true. Uh, being a normal, healthy body weight, we could use whatever terminology we wanted to, to 
kind of decide what that is, but that's generally a good thing for health. If you are overweight or in an ob or have obesity, generally speaking, weight loss is most likely going to improve your health in some way. And if you're worried that the calorie number is so low that it, it is inherently unhealthy, just not true. You're going to find a calorie number is going to be sooner unsustainable than it will be inherently unhealthy. And like, yeah, you even mentioned it. You're like, yeah, it's unlikely your fat's going to get so low for a fat loss phase that it's going to affect your hormones. Those things run on very long time scales. So if your fat is on the lower, you know, we say like 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound, whatever, at least if it's lower than that for a short period of time, short meaning even like a deficit that, you know, short is in air quotes here. It's like even if 12 to 16 weeks, that's not going to have some lifelong dramatic, drastic effect on your hormones. I just think that there's, there's, you answered it wonderfully with like a lot of health context, but I just feel like most people are going to run into this is unsustainable before this is unhealthy. Um, you know, we could talk about the muscle loss. I might, again, pose two different contexts. If you're somebody who's overweight, chances are you're at very little risk for muscle loss if you're training. Yep. And even if you do lose muscle, if you also lost a, a significant amount of body fat that did actually have a, a positive impact on your health, you might trade away some lean body mass in the short term because hopefully you're you're doing resistance training and as you transition to maintenance and eat more, you can build back that lean body mass. And if going slightly lower in calories, I mean, we do see some research on very low calorie dieting on like a bit more of this intermittent fasting approach as well. Um, I, I, the, the muscle loss is always interesting for me because if you're like, if somebody has obesity and you're like, hey, we're gonna lose a hundred pounds and you're gonna lose 15, 20 pounds of lean body mass, you're like, well, I don't wanna lose that much lean body mass. It's like, okay, but this is a net improvement in health and you can build that lean body mass back. and it, that might actually be an overstatement. You might be able to retain that with an, an adequate protein intake and, and the resistance training stimulus. But I just laugh at, not laugh, I just think about myself. Like if I'm thinking about a calorie number, I'm never thinking like, this is unhealthy. Like, you know what's unhealthy? Being extremely lean. So it's not unhealthy for you to eat very little calories, at least in the short to moderate term. Like, and then someone's like, well, what if I do it for the long term? You know what happens if you do it for the long term? You become extremely lean and you are then unhealthy. It's not necessarily that these the lack of food is the unhealthy thing. It's the state of being underweight that is unhealthy. Um, and yeah, potentially loss in lean body mass is just, it's never a good thing for sure. You definitely, if you can prevent lean body mass. And I just think like most people are gonna, this discussion of like how little is too little, you're gonna run into this is unsustainable before this is unhealthy every single time. And like you said, you're, you know, nine times out of 10, you're gonna just end up with like a, what can I reasonably sustain? And then yes, the leaner you get, I think the rate of the risk of muscle loss does go up. And so we have to take that into account. But again, those are, that's usually in the context of like a lean, healthy person looking to get more into that, like really lean shredded category and that slightly different context, slightly different um, way of looking at it. Most people who are at a uh, point where they've found <clears throat> that they're worried that their calories are too low, they're already at a point that they cannot sustain, and they're already not sustaining it. It's just they're forgetting that they're not. Um, and so they're very commonly they'll be nailing their diet during the week, but then they'll have slip ups on the weekend that can add up to like a couple of thousand calories extra over what they should normally be doing, which then wipes away. The majority of the calorie deficit that they created during the week, setting them up for these kind of, um, uh, I wouldn't want to say binge starve cycles, but these uh, splurge under eat cycles. Um, and that's just being conveniently forgotten. Um, or there will be other snacks or drinks that are not being logged. Or they're using a food logger um, uh, 
MyFitnessPal is a very common one, um, which is great because it's got so many entries, but it's terrible in that a lot of them are user-generated entries, which means that they they they, they just might be um, choosing inaccurate entries and therefore they're actually eating more than they thought. So, you know, all, all of these things, they're, they're kind of compound. Yeah, um, I, I say that my one, fitness pal. Sorry, I say that my fitness pal is one of the best apps because it has so many entries, and it's also one of the worst apps because it has so many entries. You know, and it can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, uh, you want to have one that's uh, when you're looking, just uh, look for one that's got a verified uh, nutrition uh, database. I think my net diary is a free one that does that, and then I know Macro Factor. That's the one that I recommend to people. I think it's something like eight, ten dollars a month, but. I mean, it's great. Uh, it's run by some friends, uh, Greg Knuckles. Yep. Um, yeah, over at uh, strongerbyscience.com. Um, anyway, and there's one other thing I would say here. It is possible um, for calories to be chronically low where it does affect health. Um, typically, this is with people who have, have been accurately um, counting their calories. They have been dieting typically for a very long time. They're trying to sustain usually unrealistically low levels of body fat um, and it affects um, it, it does affect their health um, that is probably not going to affect most people here it's something called relative energy deficiency syndrome um, if you would like to read about that you can go to my website rippedbody.com and then uh, metabolic hyphen damage now I've titled it that because that's what people are looking for in Google. It's not actually metabolic damage. I just wanted to like take those hits away um, and bring them into a more sensible discussion of that. And my co-author on the Muscle Strength Pyramid books, uh, Eric Helms, he's the one with a PhD. I classify him as the smart one. Um, he's the one that has written that article, so you'll get a breakdown of that. Do you, let's stay with that for a second. How do we parse out mm. the... Well, we would say, okay, well, I'll, I'll throw it to you without my hypothesis. How do we parse out the where, where the health negative impact implications are coming from? The the attempt to maintain an unhealthy unhealthy level of body fat, like unhealthily low level of body fat versus the, and we could talk about, you can speak to Red S as much as, you know, we can talk about it, but how do we decide that this is just a person who's maintaining a level of body fat that is inherently unhealthy versus this is a person who's just not getting enough nutrients to support their activity and is thus in a physiological state of unhealth? I mean, where do we, or, or are they just so intertwined? It's a chicken or the egg scenario. Yeah. I, I, you know, this is not my area of expertise because it is not something that I run into, um, because I work with men. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do believe that the two are very much intertwined. Um, and then you, you can kind of assess it, um, the it results in uh like say the loss of uh menses or your irregular menstrual cycle i'm reading from the article here uh -huh. uh, persistent focus on food more frequent illness a poorer mood sure. state the inability to increase your performance a loss of libido um, particularly for men that would be or metabolic or reproductive hormone panels outside of the reference ranges um if you've had uh if those things if multiple of those things um are true for you then it may be a case that you are in state of relative energy deficiency syndrome um now any individual one of these things will ca can happen um when you are dieting um but if it's if it's chronic then it may be a good idea to 
eat more, come to maintenance, perhaps allow yourself to gain a little weight, start feeling normal again before you then start dieting again. Let's talk about that scenario. There are a couple of that I'd like to go back to, but let's take this idea of diet breaks and maintenance phases. Um, and you, know, you can reference, you know, how you utilize or don't utilize them in your own within your own coaching. But this idea of taking a diet break to boost metabolism, or taking a maintenance phase between diet periods to boost or rebuild the metabolism—is there some truth to this? Total nonsense? Something in between? Well, when we diet, uh, 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 the metabolism gradually adapts. Um, the hmm. You see, you asked me for like short, rapid fire questions. <laughs> well, we've done metabolic adaptation like, here and on the podcast a million times. Everyone listening to the podcast is, is aware our metabolism goes down, you know, through a reduction mostly. Okay, great. In how great. how large so, of a person you are, you shrinking your your body requires less calories. Neat goes down, um, and and there's this idea of well, if, if those adaptations are happening, and that's, uh, you know, some of those reductions are not just because I'm smaller. They're do These are actually the metabolic adaptations that we're talking about that are are f more than what you'd expect by just having the weight, lost the weight. Um, this idea that a short period of eating more might reverse those and I could go back into a deficit with these, you know, with a boost to my metabolism and I could go back to losing weight, you know, let's say more quickly or a continued rate, let's say. Right, gotcha, yeah. The, 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 no. Unfortunately, mm. that doesn't mean fire. that um, having a diet break or coming to maintenance is not a good idea, but that's more for the psychological reasons rather than the physiological physiological benefits. And and really, it just comes down to these metabolic adaptations um, as they go down, um, as your metabolism ramps down, uh, that doesn't happen suddenly and we can't reverse them suddenly either. Um, so uh, it tends to be the... Uh, not just the time period, but the magnitude of the calorie deficit. And again, it's a function of the time period and the magnitude of the calorie uh, surplus from where you are or the length of time that you're at, say, maximum maintenance. Um, that's what affects it. So having a two-week uh, break um, at maintenance calories isn't going to do much for isn't going to fire up your metabolism and suddenly allow you to, let's say you've, your weight loss has stalled almost completely. It's not going to suddenly then allow you to eat the same, um, but then uh, carry on uh, losing weight at your desired rate. Now, that is something that I thought was the case um, years and years ago, but, you know, I learned as a coach and unfortunately, unfortunately, it's just, it's not how it works. Yep. And we've talked about the Matador study on the podcast before and the the refeed research and the the misconception is that if you were to take somebody in the midst of that diet break and and look under the hood, you'd see a lot of those metabolic adaptations, you'd see them reversed. You'd see an improvement in, in leptin, which is like the big one that we're looking at, I guess, in this context, like representative of metabolic adaptation to some degree. And you'd see it would look good, but it just so happens the minute you go back to losing fat, there's no lasting benefit. So it actually does reflect exactly what you'd feel, which is you'd feel better during those weeks when you eat more and you'd go right back to the normal state of your deficit thereafter. And, you know, there's, like you said, some uh, slightly less tangible psychological fatigue that's maybe attenuated that maybe on the back end of this break does allow you to go back to your deficit and adhere better and, you know, get a bit of, you know, and it sounds like, you know, 
like whimsical like feeling of like, well, you just feel better and you can go back to it. But that's 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 a real thing. There's a psychological fatigue of dieting. It's hard to parse that out of the physiological what's happening. They're very intertwined as well. But um, sometimes just taking a step back, going to maintenance for five days, six days, seven days, three days, one day. You know, and the funny part is there's no, there used to be like a, we used to attach like refeed three days, three days, high carbs. And then it was like diet break, seven days, maintenance phase, this many. And it's just made up. We just made up those parameters. You know, it's like sometimes I'll have a client just take a maintenance day, right? And it's the same exact concept of just taking a break from this deficit psychologically, physiologically, you feel good for the day too. We're not hoping for a big lasting benefit thereafter, but it just, once you realize that we just like, we made up all these time scales. there's no time scale outside of a very long time right? Like you had said, these metabolic adaptations downward happen slowly, they happen, they reverse slowly. And so outside of a long period of time, which I guess we could talk about, it's like, where is this amount of time? I mean, again, we are just operating with heuristics, like ways of thinking about this. You know, I've given general recommendations to clients, but again, there's no exact playbook on this. So do you have a re general recommendation of like, hey, you might want to spend this long of a period of time before trying to cut again? Yeah, sure. So with clients, I, I typically recommend a one to two week diet break uh, every, hmm, it ends up being like every like eight to 16 weeks usually. Uh, and I base that on on how they're feeling and then also practically on whether where their vacations line up. Um, and a diet break is not a, a free-for-all. Um, it You can have structure where you... I say you're not going away on holiday. You still will be having access to, you know, your supermarket cooking regular foods. Then you may wish to um, bump up your calorie intake by, say, five to seven hundred calories. Um, so I call that a controlled diet break. I say you're going on holiday. You might consider that an ad lib diet break where you're trying to practice using your hunger and fullness cues and um, eyeballing portion sizes um, and just kind of sensible um, rules. Um, where you don't have a dessert with every meal. You limit yourself to, say, a glass of wine instead of like a bottle of wine for every dinner while you're away. Um, <laughs> like, it's not, uh, it's not supposed to be a free-for-all. So that's one area. That's diet breaks. Now, um, if we back up a bit, like the goal is to, if we're in a fat loss phase, which the context of what we're talking about here. Um, that can often be a very long time, many, many months, in order to get to where you need. And faced with that, it's very difficult to continue um, psychologically. So you're inserting these points where you're having like the these, these mental breaks from it. And it doesn't just have to be um, these structured diet breaks. You can also have, um, um, say, free meals, um, notice the wording there, not cheap meals, or you could have free days. Uh, and again, the wording there, not cheat days. Um, now uh, everyone likes to follow, uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, and he's famous for his Saturday, uh, cheat days, um, where, where he looks like he pans down like 7,000 calories. Now, um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> Most important thing here is you're not Dwayne Rock Johnson with his energy demands. You're, he's also not dieting. Um, and you're also not 280 pounds right, of pure muscle. Okay, um, You can absolutely undo all of your efforts from the week on a single day. 
um, or a very, very, very large meal. Um, so I would not recommend that. But allowing yourself a break from the restriction of counting your protein, carbs, and fats every so often can be helpful. Maybe you just give yourself a, a thousand calorie budget for that meal instead of like looking after the protein, carbs, and fats, just letting it wear it lie and you do that once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, it's all about um, giving yourself that mental break so that you can sustain things. That's I think, why we have weekends from work, right? Agreed. I think once you recognize as a coach that it's just a psychological break, you can kind of do what feels right for the client. You can give them some options and you can judge, like you said, based on how they're feeling and what would be the best tool for how they're feeling at that time. And so it's like, there's no longer a playbook of, well, you've been dieting this long, your metabolism's this damaged and to repair it, we need this much time at this. It's not, that's not the, that's not the playbook. The playbook is I have a person in front of me who's maybe I normally give, like you said, maybe I normally give my client a diet break at the 12 week mark, but on the 12th week mark, you know, they just got, maybe they just got things going. Maybe they're only six weeks into the deficit. Maybe the first six weeks they were figuring it out. And it's like, am I going to then stop this client in a, in a good spot of momentum where biofeedback's good and things are moving? It's like, of course not. And so, like you said, maybe there's somebody who does really well with an untracked day, right? A free day. Somebody does well when they go on vacation using that as an opportunity to practice non-tracking habits. And so I really, there's like, I don't think that what we do is like overly, uh, I was going to say the art of coaching, but that puts like what we do like up on some crazy pedestal. But there is an, an art of assessing the individual and being able to have that 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 conversation back and forth. And I just like there's a lot of things that we're finding out in fitness right now. I'm not saying I'm I'm on team. It doesn't matter. Like there are things that matter absolutely. But it is cool when you have a lot of. Um, like meal frequency, it's not that it doesn't matter, but there's a ton of room for personal preference. Um, you know, macro distribution of carb to fat ratio, it doesn't not matter at all, but there's a lot of room for personal preference. And that's like a really, a nice thing where we have a lot of these things that do come down to personal preference that you can help your client with. It's likely, the likelihood that they can sustain it, it's gonna be better if they're making some of these decisions for themselves. Let's, um, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pick your brain. We got 10 minutes here. I wanna pick your brain on, on, I saw a post that you had said that you wrote about, I'm, I, I've made many posts on calorie cycling and this discussion of, you know, that it is mathematically, it makes sense. You could eat 3000 and 1000 and 3000 and 1000, and it would be the same outcome, fat loss, body comp wise, likely over the long term, be the same as 2000 a day. What's your take with how you approach this with clients? They've probably heard about it at some point. They're like, maybe I could do higher and lower days. Should I eat more on training days? Is there a protocol you go through with them? Yeah, so just to address the specific example that wasn't necessarily a real one that you said there um, of 3,000 and then 1,000, if you are going, uh, if you do have an extreme where the 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 one day is 3x um, the other day and you're cycling like that, there probably are going to be recovery implications uh, to that. And because there will be recovery implications um, and, and muscle growth implications, then your physique will differ over time, but your weight won't because it is calories in calories out that controls weight so um it kind of comes down to whether you fluctuate your calorie intake or not kind of comes down to this point that we were making about um sustainability so some people they they have massive issues with consistency, they ha are in this, um, they're struggling to 
get consistent with their food intake. They have days where they're just way off. They, um, they're typically that would be the weekends. Perhaps it'll be uh, one specific weeknight for them. There can be an argument to be made that they should just keep try to keep their calories the same every day for a few weeks. Build some meal plans for themselves based on the foods that they enjoy, um, that and these meals that they can rotate through without having to think about it, um, so that they can then build consistency and perhaps start there. Now with the person that say that they're okay, that they're okay with their consistency, but they want to allow themselves a bit more flexibility, um, perhaps specifically on the weekends, then they might say have, um, I don't know, 200 calories less on their weekdays so that they can have an extra thousand calories to quote unquote spend um, on the weekend. And that's fine as well. That's a totally legit strategy. And because, you know, you might be eating say 10,000 calories or 14,000 calories or more, um, over, you know, depending on body size, activity levels, et cetera, um, over a, the course of a week, this is, you know, a small percentage difference that we're talking about here. We're not going to have big implications for recovery there. Um, so that, that is totally fine. But if doing that feeds into the already currently existing problem of, uh, starve yourself in the week, binge on the weekends, then it's not, it's it's not a good thing. It's not doing you any favors. It's like once you are away from that cycle, then allowing yourself more flexibility on the weekends, I think, is is the approach to go with. Um, you kind of have to earn it and prove to yourself that you you can um, cope with that. I think because otherwise, for all too quickly, that can become a free for all. Now, something that I do with clients very often is I'll get them to have um, higher carb uh, training days and therefore higher calorie um, training days than their rest days. I used to think this is uh, something that uh, Martin Birken of LeanGains.com uh, used to talk about and do with his clients. Um, uh, this is something that I did uh, for a long time. I, I still uh, offer that as uh, something that clients can consider. Does that hold any um, advantages in outcome assuming perfect adherence probably not um though perfect adherence is that big caveat there and the mental break of not having the same food every single day is is big and that can help with adherence and it comes down to adherence after all so there is flexibility there but you with great power comes great responsibility don't abuse it yeah, I think we're in total agreement there. I think most people, that's, I don't want to go overly generalizing here. Um, in many cases, uh, a nonlinear surplus is how most people have become overweight, who have gained weight over many years, nonlinearly. Most people are not in a 300 calorie surplus every day, you know, to a T and gaining at a nice steady rate. Maybe maybe gaining a steady rate week to week, month to month, year to year, but most people are in a non-linear surplus. Most people are eating asymmetric calories. They're eating, they're calorie cycling anyway. They're having low days, really high days, then low days, whether they're doing it consciously or like you said, it's a 
you know, there's some psychological binge restrict, pseudo binge restrict, not necessarily that, you know, uh, exact terminology, but like you said, a, a famine feast cycle here. Um, that's how most people have gotten to where they probably are hiring you. Uh, and that's not the, to say that this is the same because we'd be doing it mathematically in a way that would still adhere to the goals. But that pattern of living is kind of what got you here in the first place. And almost facing the fear of, of consistency and continuity, maybe that, maybe, you know, a lot, like you said, eating the same thing every day can be a little bit daunting. And sometimes having a high carb, low carb approach can be nice because on a higher carb day, maybe you're having you know, more, more rice and more bread and more fruit. Other day, more avocado, whatever, and more nuts, more oils, whatever. Um, but I think we both agree like that the person who's coming to you who's like been eating a bit more chaotic, you know, making it up as they go, not really having a plan, not really having structure. The first thing we're trying to do is establish some structure and getting clients to eat in a more of a similar style each day and get rid of some of these big fluctuations, super high day, super low day, super high day, super low day is just really, and like you said, a lot of times what you'll do is you'll bring that client to that spot, build some consistency, and then they've earned the right to open up and be like, okay, well, I can do this. And now I could maybe also do some small fluctuations up and down to match my lifestyle a bit better. I really love that answer. I think that's exactly how I would take it as well, yeah. And then one thing I'd add here, like just because you are having the same um, calories each day, it doesn't necessarily mean the same food each day. Although I understand the desire to the want to keep things simple. And here's where you need to find a balance for yourself. One thing that I tend to do, I have the same breakfast, sometimes eat breakfast, sometimes not, but I would recommend that you choose one or the other. Um, because I'm not currently in a cutting phase or gaining phase here. So, and, and I've got a lot more experience of this. Um, but if you are going to have breakfast, perhaps have the same breakfast each day. If you're going to have a lunch, perhaps have the same lunch each day. But rotate through your dinners and think of meals that fit your calorie budget and your um, your macro targets and then you can rotate through them and you might end up say with seven different dinners that you could have which tends to be the more sociable time um, tends to be the more sociable meal and then uh, what could your breakfasts and your lunches be well if i give my very personal example here um, breakfast uh, a greek yogurt which is um, almost no carb um, very low fat um, greek yogurt with a scoop of chocolate protein mixed up in a bowl mm absolutely delicious keeps him full lunch uh big chicken salad like and i mean lots of vegetables in there um and not too oily dressing or not too much of that um oily dressing in there you know great filling lunch high protein lunch and that gives me uh, a calorie buffer and then i only need to worry about one meal a day and i just build like four five six seven different dinners that fit my food preferences and I rotate through them. But I that is infinitely better than being on a food hunt each day, you know, grabbing random items from the cupboard, then logging that. Oh my goodness, now I need to eat another 110 grams of protein and like 37 grams of fats and like 133 grams of carbs. Where am I going to get this? And you know, like don't don't be the food hunt person. Yeah. Just yeah. The the analogy that I that makes a lot of sense to me is imagine you had to Every time that you eat, you also had to change your outfit head to toe. If you had to get new socks and shirt and shorts and hat and mm. gloves, if you had to do that, chances are you'd, you'd probably 
buy a bunch of similar shirts and similar shorts and similar socks. Maybe not exactly the same, but you know, when you go out, when you're going out to dinner, maybe you have a new outfit that you go to the closet and you make it from scratch. And you, again, you have some staples, but if you had to make a new outfit every time you ate, you, you probably would lean on some staples and you'd have a lot of similar shirts and maybe it wouldn't be exactly the same, but it would be exhausting to come up with a new outfit three to five times a day. Just like it's exhausting. Like you said, open up the fridge and try and create, you know, mentally make something from scratch. And you know, you and I have both been doing this for a long time. So what you just said makes a ton of sense to me. I eat the same breakfast every day, the same lunch every day, but then dinner and potentially if I have a snack after dinner, that stuff rotates. And that's my, where I can get a little bit of, of novelty of new stuff where I can enjoy, like, what am I in more of like a, what am I in the mood for? And, and, and if you do, what am I in the mood for three to five times a day? It's exhausting. I agree. Yeah. Totally exhausting. Yeah. That's not the way to go. Yeah. All right, my man. It's, it's, uh, I'm it just, it looks like I'm telling ghost stories here. It's 8 PM for me. It's uh 10 AM for you, right? <laughs> yeah. You got to get started with your day. I'll let you go. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and I'll link to all your Instagram, your resources, the book, all of that stuff in the podcast show notes. Sure. If you want a little bit of entertainment, uh, Instagram.com. Oh, wow. Sorry. On, you know that <laughs> on Instagram, it's, uh, uh, Andy underscore ripped body. Um, these are short videos and because they're short videos you are getting snippets without getting the big picture so i would encourage you if you're serious about learning you know wanting to understand the bigger picture puzzle pieces go to ripbody.com and you'll read my far more in-depth articles there that's what i'm known for it's not the instagram stuff that's something that i've started doing the last few years um the reason that i'm in in business and business is good enough to keep me in fresh undies is because people really like the articles on the site so that's what i'd say go to ripbody.com and if you want to um uh, see my thoughts on nutrition setup specifically you'll see right on the on the site there a box uh, enter your email address in there and it'll spit it out yes you'll see a big jack dude chris lovato um, next to that box it doesn't mean that it's only for men it's just because like in this business um, if you try to appeal to everyone you end up appealing to no one so I started working with men and then because I started working with men I ended up only working with men because these are the only people who I know who to train because I don't have any experience of women now <laughs> right? <Noted>. so <laughs> that's, that's kind of it so just yeah. don't let the image uh, and that it seems to be geared toward men put you off is what I'd say if you are a woman Excellent. Awesome. I'm going to link everything in the show notes. I appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully, I don't know if you stayed up for the man. You definitely didn't. The Man United game that was on at like 3 a.m. for you. Um, but they had an amazing game and it was uh, frustrating to watch, frankly, to be honest. But yeah. Happy to hear. What did we beat? What? <laughs> we beat you, Liverpool 2-1. No, against Liverpool 2-1. Craziness. Oh, good. Yeah, nuts. Good. You were dead asleep All the right. middle of the night for you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. I have right. to be fresh for this. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thanks Appreciate so much, Andy. Thanks have for a good having one. me on. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.